For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, a closer look at how the election home stretch is playing out in Arizona. Are students in Tucson schools getting the mental health support they need? Take a ride in the RAP van, and Feeding Our Future examines the politics of rescuing produce on the border. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Arizona is usually a predictable red state, but this year's different. It's turned into a battleground for the presidential election, and both campaigns are sending their candidates and surrogates to our state to get out the vote. Joining me now is Christopher Conover, and the first question, Christopher, is, is this working? It is working. Election officials around the state are predicting anywhere up to an 80 percent turnout. If you look at turnouts over the last three presidential elections, it usually hovers around the mid-70s. We've seen huge numbers of people request early ballots. We've seen huge numbers of people register to vote, and they're predicting 80 percent of those people will actually turn out. So it is working. Driving around in Tucson, you don't seem to be seeing as many lawn signs or even bumper stickers promoting the presidential candidates this year. Um, What do you attribute that to? There aren't a lot of yard signs, and bumper stickers are few and far between. Frankly, the ones I see the most commonly bumper stickers are Bernie Sanders. Now, granted, I live in Tucson, and Tucson you know, leaned for Bernie, so that may have something to do with it. It also may be the fact that both of these candidates have high uh, dislikability numbers in the polls. So people, while they may go ahead and vote for them, they may not feel passionate enough to get a yard sign and put it in their yard, or they may not want to admit to people, uh, their friends, their neighbors, exactly who they're supporting. There's been talk about citizen observers being sent to the polling sites on Election Day. Are state officials concerned about potential disruptions, and are there any special measures being put in place this year? Nothing special, but there are rules for observers. The observers that are allowed under Arizona law come from the two political parties, and they have to be registered in advance with the election officials. So you can't go in and vote your ballot and then just hang out and watch to see what goes on. If you want to talk to somebody about their ballot or whatever, you have to be 75 feet away. And there's a a big line in front of all the polling places. That's the 75-foot mark. So those are rules that are already in place and have been in place for a long time. You mentioned the higher-than-normal demand for early voting ballots. Does this open a window, though, to voter fraud? People who don't like mail-in ballots say yes. But the mail-in ballot process is pretty secure. You vote your ballot, you put it in a double envelope, and you send it in, and election officials then match your signature with the signature on file. If the signature doesn't match, they call you up, and you have to come down, and maybe your signature has changed. You have to prove that you voted your ballot. Once you vote your ballot, can you change your vote? The Trump campaign has been saying in some states you can do that. In Arizona, you can't. 
And that's part of the way the system is designed. Once that ballot goes to the county recorder's office and it's verified that it is your signature, the ballot is separated from the signature card. So there's no way to know whose ballot is in the stack of ballots. They can't match them back up. So once you mail that ballot in, that's it. Here in this last week, how do the polls look on the Arizona Senate race between Republican John McCain and Democrat Ann Kirkpatrick? John McCain started out this re-election campaign more than a year ago, saying this was the toughest race of his political career. He faced what was initially a pretty strong challenge in the primary uh, from Kelly Ward, who is uh, on the, the further right end of the Republican Party. He beat her, but he had to invest time and money in it. And Kirkpatrick, the Democrat in this race, had no primary challenge. She's been running against John McCain for more than a year. There were times where the polls showed this race very, very close. Recently, some of the polls have shown that Senator McCain has been up by, I've seen as high as 19 points. Uh, Last week, I saw 10 points, but last week, I also saw only two points. This is a race that began tight and then widened and then has tightened again. There's only one poll anymore that matters, and that's going to be taken on Tuesday by all of us going and voting. I know you've got a busy day today covering the last week of the race, so thanks for your time, Christopher. Thank you. School is already a tough place for many teens, but it can be especially challenging if you're living with a mental illness. How can educators help? Gisela Tellis takes a look at where schools succeed and fail when it comes to meeting their students' mental health needs. At Desert Christian High School in Tucson, the student services room was a sanctuary for senior Cassandra Temple. I think this is a place where they can like just relax and chill and like collect their thoughts before they go back out there. I feel like it's my second home. The door is always open to students with learning disabilities, mental health disorders, emotional trauma, or other challenges that can make school a stressful place. Here, they can talk to tutors, work on projects, or find some respite from the day. And that's by design, says Principal Meg Chandler. The idea is to meet the needs for that individual learner. Um, and, and, And the way we look at it is that it honors that kid for their humanity, the way they are, the way they were designed to learn. Desert Christian is an independent, faith-based school. Secular, private, and public schools are also exploring ways to support students' mental health, largely because the demand has never been higher. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, about 20% of teens experience a mental health disorder in any given year, and that prevalence is on the rise. Cindy Ruich has seen it firsthand. It really, it increased dramatically over the years. Students with Um, ADD. And not only that, but students with really serious issues like schizophrenia, students with bipolar disorder. As the current director of student services for the Marana Unified School District, Ruich helps implement a multi-level system of support for students who are struggling socially or emotionally. We want school to be a safe place where they feel valued and so that they're able to learn. Because if their social emotional is not intact, they're not going to be ready for the academic side. But without guidelines or requirements for mental health support, schools are inconsistent in what they offer. And with resources stretched thin, Ruich says many schools can't keep up. Moran High School has like 2,200 kids and four and a half counselors. 
And if you look across Pima County, not all schools have counselors. With all of the budget cuts from the State Department, unfortunately, counselors are one of the first people, or I should say employees, that school districts cut. So there is not a, a standard across Pima County or across Arizona. The stigma surrounding mental illness also plays a part. Psychologist Patricia Harrison-Monroe says it can keep students from seeking help and keep educators from recognizing the need for it. Some people assume that you just need to pull yourself together and, and stop whining and you should be okay. And so there's a lot of misinformation within the school system, I think, that just kind of gets perpetuated. Uh, it's, it's a reflection of our uh, society in general. She says the key is educating educators about mental health and emotional trauma. That means opening yourself up to trainings, being willing to spend the time to learn more, being able to look at an individual student and say, here are several of the warning signs that I've learned about recently. I need to do something with that information versus ignoring it and hoping you know, the child will either go away, transfer out of the school, or just grow out of it. In the Center for Child Well-Being at Arizona State University, researcher Judy Kreisick is making that training more accessible. She and her colleagues have designed online modules that teach teachers how to recognize emotional distress and make the classroom more mental health friendly. Teachers can work through the modules at their own pace, playing out classroom scenarios and answering questions as they go. Kreisig says the goal is for teachers to learn to integrate mental health awareness into everything they do. It's almost like we treat children as if they come in pieces. So the school deals with the education, the medical doctor deals with the physical health, but that's not the reality. Children go to school with all their pieces. They're social, they're emotional. We have to deal with the whole child. And when the whole child can find a sanctuary, Ruich says, the whole community benefits. If we don't give them voice, we're going to miss the boat, I believe, on really helping them to be as successful as they can be. I'm Gisela Tellis for Arizona Spotlight. That was a radio adaptation of a television story that appeared on Arizona Illustrated. You can find more mental health reports from Gisela Tellis at azpm.org. Next, we'll go for a ride aboard a new rolling excursion that's bringing music to the masses and adding a new spin on social interaction to the diversity of Tucson's hip-hop music scene. Our guide is Andrew Brown in this edition of Under the Sun. Excited? You riding the right van? Yeah. Cool. It's going to be a fun time. Hell yeah. 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 Rap van. My name is Tom and I run the rap van. The rap van is a mobile rap show where I drive rappers around for about 20 minutes with 20 people, and it's really fun. Hashtag rap van. You want to do cash or card? Yeah, cash. Cash? Like we're almost fully loaded for the first run, and about half loaded for the second. I have six date or six second Sundays lined up here at our bar. If you wanted to bump that hard, it could bump. I'm probably gonna camp out right here. Tonight we got Rock. He, in my opinion, is Tucson's best kept secret. 
He's an incredible piano player. He's an incredible beat maker. He's an incredible rapper. He's an incredible human being, period. And it's his birthday, and he's gonna rap in the van. The last rap van we went on, I was like, yo, the people in the back, they couldn't hear the sound. Now we got this, oh, it's beautiful. All right, this is Rock, AKA Rock Kiss, uh, doing the rap van at our bar. I believe in passing at a random night at a bar, somebody may have mentioned this would be a good van to do shows out of, because it was cleaned out. Lo and behold, a couple months later, he says, hey, do you want to perform at the rap van? Here are some dates you can pick. Jeff, where, where are we right now? Can you describe this space to me? We are inside of like an eight foot by three foot van. <laughs> Fully outfitted. 17 by six. 17 by six. Yeah. We're inside a 17 by six van outfitted with PA system, handlebars. This is a very out there idea. Yeah, this is a different kind of musical session. How's it going? Yeah. Welcome to Rap Van. Yeah. It's your first time, hell yeah. Hell yeah. This is Rock and it's his birthday. Yeah. This is the Rap Van. Be safe, the side door pretty hard to access to get out during the ride. If there is an emergency, right. the back door is how we get out. Who's back there? You know how to open the back door? That's great. It lasts about 20 minutes. This is Rock. This is Tucson. This is the Rat Band. Hello, people. Hello, people. Hello, people. Y'all gonna be my Rat Band crew. I take you from here to the Catman Zoo. I should wear some tap dance shoes. They ain't know a rapper that was that damn cute. Do not understand. And we have a lot of producers and a lot of rappers that have a unique sound. So it's all about contributing what uh, pieces we have on a national scale. We can have our own sound. We've got our own sound that we do out here. You know, he got that ride. Oh, had a rap band do it though. For sure, like, you're not going to find something that's just like Tucson anywhere else. Everyone that's part of the rap scene here knows that and feels that, and that is where a lot of sport comes from too, because we realize how special it is to be a part of what is happening here right now. If somebody leans on you, it's all good. We homies. We homies. I'm gonna do some songs for you. The scene ebbs and flows, but I would say now it's at a high point. So there's a lot of talented artists that are coming out uh, of here. And with social media, it gives a lot of people a platform to generate a buzz outside of the city. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? AZ on my back. I got Haiti in my blood. Detroit on this track. I got California love. I'm a really big fan of small shows. Intimacy and accountability and reality and fun all combined into one. So it's so blaring and in your face, whether you're the rapper or you're the crowd member, you have to be there. There's no corner to stand in on your cell phone. There's no smoking patio to hang out in. Uh, that's a surprising amount of cardio. I have to hold myself up. That was really difficult. I was tired after the second song. Oh man. A lot of fun though, a lot of fun. Have you ever seen the movie Mad Max? Kind of like that, but way cooler. It's like a very uh, minimal concept, but like, where else is that happening? <laughs> you know, like that's happening here. <laughs> we just did that. People like Tom are what's keeping Tucson like weird and also exciting. 
we move it right now. Rap band hadn't built. Y'all sound beautiful. Shout out to Tom. I want people to do more fun stuff with each other. There's a lot of terrible things in the world, and I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be part of good stuff. And this is my way of doing that. Hello, everybody. My name is Rock. I like filet mignon, filet mignon. I got a freestyle that I came to drop. I'm from T-Town, and it's blazing hot. How the rap band do? How the rap band do? Rap band do? How the rap band do? Our ride in the rap van was produced by Andrew Brown. Next, the seventh episode of our nine-part series, Feeding Our Future. It explores the innovative work being done to feed families, prepare for climate change, improve health, create pathways out of poverty, and promote our local food system. The series is made possible with the support of the Zuckerman Family Foundation. One in five people in southern Arizona goes hungry but hundreds of millions of pounds of grade-A produce are dumped in landfills at the border. Area food banks are trying to patch that hole in the food system and get the food to people in need, but the politics of food rescue can get messy. Here's Laura Markowitz. It's a quarter to six on a Saturday morning. People are lining up in the parking lot of an industrial park on Ina Road in Old Father. If they have their card, they'll give you their card number. Hi. I can't find my Borderlands card. Okay. It's, it's not in so. here. This is Pow Wow, produce on wheels without waste. It's a pop-up market. An hour ago, a truck from Borderlands Food Bank drove up from Nogales with pallets of fruits and vegetables. Now volunteers are ripping into those boxes and spreading the food out on tables, getting ready to hand it out to the crowd. Ten dollars, right? Okay. Ten dollars. Ten dollars gets you 60 pounds of produce. They're not really selling produce, they're basically asking for donations. That's Bob Darling. He's a powwow volunteer. They're able to keep their equipment up, pay for their drivers and their fuel. There are 70 powwow sites throughout Arizona. Locations change every week. She's brand new at it. Yep, there you go. Yep, and then I'll give you a box. Oh yeah, that's cool. You really need two boxes. 60 pounds is a lot of food. 11 organic oranges, uh-huh. three honeydew melons, and nine cucumbers. What are you guys going to do with five acorn squash? <laughs> Slice them and roast them, and I give them away. I mean, some stuff you have to be careful. It's close to going bad, but most of it we've been really happy with. Where does all this food come from? They get all the produce in from Mexico. Billions of pounds of produce come across the border every year through Nogales. It's the largest port of entry in the United States for produce. Then all that food waits in warehouses until it's ordered and then shipped out. And this is produce that they pretty much didn't get shipped out or didn't get ordered. Maybe there was a glut of acorn squash on the market. Maybe the tomatoes on the vine are missing a few stems or the oranges are not orange enough. Produce distributors regularly get stuck with product that they can't sell and they have to make room for next week's delivery. So they have two options. They can take it to the landfill, or they can donate it to food redistributors like Borderlands Food Bank. I hate waste. Yolanda Soto is president and CEO of Borderlands Food Bank. We rescue fresh produce. Between 30 and 40 million pounds a year 
Borderlands is not your typical food bank. You don't have to show ID, and there's no macaroni or canned soup. It only distributes fresh produce, and it distributes it to anyone who wants it. Yoli Soto says she came up with the idea in 1995 to approach distributors and offer to take the edible food off their hands. It's cost effective for them because it costs them to dump. It's $40 a ton to go to the dump. We only pick up 75% or better product. So in a box of tomatoes that has 10 tomatoes, eight of them better be good. That produce doesn't have much shelf life left, so it has to be used quickly. Borderlands distributes it directly from their warehouse in Nogales. Our 80 to 90% good product we save for our produce on wheels. That's powwow. And then the produce that's 90 to 100% edible, Borderlands offers to food banks in 19 other states. I send out a mass email and they hire their transportation to come down here and pick it up. For instance, I just sent out over 25 loads of watermelon all over the United States. Borderlands charges those food banks a penny a pound. She used to give it away for free to other food banks. In 2007, Borderlands lost its grant from the Arizona Department of Economic Security, DES. Those were its operational dollars. Borderlands had to give up its fleet of trucks and its air-conditioned warehouse. The warehouse they're using now is a rental. These warehouses are really old. They were built in the 50s. And at that, at that time, it wasn't a requirement to have drains on the floor. There's no refrigeration, flies everywhere. The other thing you notice when you visit Borderlands are all the guys in orange jumpsuits. And we have 12 gentlemen from the Arizona Department of Corrections. They are the labor force behind what we do. You want to just buy some extension cords, run them down, and I can plug them into a gang box and a light switch? Is so that what you suggest? It'll be cheaper than running conduit and yes, trying to do, do it that. Sure. We're going to want to take them yeah, with yeah, us yeah. if we move. They have some great expertise, electrical, mechanical, uh, construction. There's so many things that they help us with that we just couldn't afford. We do pay them a whole 50 cents an hour. You can imagine that it's only about 11,000 in our budget. That's all she's allowed to pay them by law. Her regular staff is small. I only have the three drivers right now and my director of operations and myself here in the warehouse. No development director. Most food banks run on grants and private philanthropy. Soto has a friend in the back room trying to raise some money making phone calls to local businesses She's seeing if they want to buy ads on Borderlands trucks. Even if she sells ads on every truck, it's still not going to be enough to get Borderlands the warehouse it needs. I'm waiting for the pie in the sky. I'm waiting for that person that wants to partner with us. My mission is to rescue as much of it as I can and get it to as many homes as possible. And I can't do it without a bigger warehouse and an air-conditioned warehouse. Across the street from Borderlands Food Bank, there is a big warehouse with refrigeration and air conditioning. It belongs to the Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona. Hi, good morning. Muchas gracias, que linda. Arthur Espinoza is CEO of the Nogales branch of the Community Food Bank. He also has another job title, Produce Solicitor. We sit in a very unique place as the entrance of Mexico and the United States. Over 300 billion pounds of produce come 
through this port of entry and we have the fortune of being able to work with distributors and brokers to make sure that their product gets donated to the food bank. We don't want them to go to the landfill. Does the Nogales branch of the Community Food Bank collaborate with Borderlands Food Bank? Borderland Food Bank is not part of our network. They pretty much do what you've just described. Um, I don't really know what their programs are. It was actually the Community Food Bank of Southern Arizona that underbid Borderlands for that big DES grant back in 2007. They hired an ex-disgruntled employee of mine. That would be Arthur Espinoza. I think it's great that people in this community have the opportunity to go to two food banks. Michael McDonald became CEO of the Community Food Bank two years ago. People should shop at Pow Wow. People should be proud to be part of a food rescue system that Yoli has put together through Borderlands to, to keep food out of the landfill and get it on their plates. That's a huge thing. McDonald says the Community Food Bank severed ties with Borderlands before his time. Food is very political. It's been fairly territorial. You know, everyone in the Wild West doing their own thing. People start up food rescue programs that other people then look at and say, why are you getting that food and why are we not getting that food? We're trying to learn the new way. Instead of coming in, as McDonald says, as an 800-pound gorilla that takes over and tells everyone what to do, they're trying to be good partners and figure out how they can use the assets that they've accumulated over 40 years, like refrigeration and trucks, to help other people feed the hungry. But... We are working on other channels to get as much produce as we can on our own without having to pay for it. The Community Food Bank and St. Mary's Food Bank in Phoenix are working together for the first time. They're expanding their food rescue operation in Nogales. If I were in Yoli's shoes, I would say, yeah, they're definitely competing. I get it. And that's not good. That's not ideal. He says there's another way to look at the Community Food Bank's growing involvement in produce rescue on the border. The competition isn't one another. The competition is time. That produce is going to waste. Food banks typically compete for scarce resources. Southern Arizona is in the unique position of having more food waiting to be rescued than either Borderlands or the Community Food Bank could ever handle. For Arizona Spotlight, this is Laura Markowitz. Production of Feeding Our Future is made possible with the support of the Zuckerman Family Foundation. To learn more, visit azpm.org. Tune in to Arizona Spotlight next week for Episode 8 of Feeding Our Future, Growing Community in Tucson's Barrios. I grew up uh, one of those little knucklehead kids, been down these streets. I just love this place, but at the same time, I see what my friends are involved in, flowers and bullets, that duality that we live here in these neighborhoods. Hear how a homegrown effort to improve some of Tucson's struggling barrios starts with a vegetable garden. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can also find our podcasts on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore.